Love that song. We're going to be taking time at the end of the service for communion, and so we abbreviate the front part of worship just a little bit, and we'll be taking more time for worship and some ministry time, so just so you know. And, and if you're here um, and haven't been here before or it's been a while, communion is for anybody who believes in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. So it's not closed communion, so if you, you don't have to be a member of this church to participate in that, so in a little bit later we'll be participating in communion together. I want to invite you to come with me this morning to Palestine. It's 34 AD and about 75 degrees. It's a lazy spring day and we're sitting on a grass-covered slope, a foothill leading to Mount Hermon, which is a small mountain in Galilee. It's late afternoon and the warm sun is beginning its long descent down to the left. Around you, there's the, in the long grass, there are dots of spring flowers that burst into color. There's a light breeze that blows the tops of the grasses back and forth. You see birds flitting here and there, chasing each other. In the distance to the north, you can see Mount Hermon, a white snow-covered mountain. And below you is a sleepy little town called Nain. Nain. Nain was once a, a busy, bustling town, but economic times had changed. Now it was just trying to survive. And in this idyllic setting, there is tragedy, death to be exact. You had known him just who he was. His father had died when he was young, and now he died. He was the only child, so left his mother, already a widow, absolutely, utterly alone. We watch now as we see the beginnings of a funeral procession. They leave the house and take the son's body in a procession outside the city to the burial grounds. The mournful sounds of a flute and mourners' voices drift up to you as you watch. These are the people of the town giving their last respects in a sorrow-filled parade. Suddenly, you hear something else. It begins softly in the distance and begins to grow louder. It sounds like singing and laughter and boisterous jesting all at the same time. It strikes you as very inappropriate and irreverent. Your first impulse is to find the source of this noise and tell them to be quiet so as not to disturb this solemn occasion. As you look down the road to your right, you see the source of the noise. People, lots of people. They seem to be following a certain group of 10 or 12 men, one of whom seems to be the source of the loudest singing, dressed like, what? A fisherman way up here? This was a study in contrast, a parade of joy and expectation and life heading towards Nain, and a funeral procession coming out, a parade of sorrow and death coming out of Nain. Life and death on a collision course. Today, life meets death. Let's find out what happened. If you'd like to turn with me to the book of Luke, the seventh chapter, it's on page 838 in the, in the Bible in the rack in front of you. Luke, the 11th chapter, starting with, I mean, seventh chapter, starting with verse 11. Luke 7, starting with verse 
11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. What possible relevance could this event in the first century have to do with us in this century? This story reveals how Jesus Christ, the Son of God, dealt with sorrow, grief, and death. He demonstrates the character of the God that we worship and we believe in, the initiatives and actions that God takes when we face challenges of all kinds. Our life challenges will vary in intensity and severity, but God always acts on our behalf. In this story, we have two crowds, one celebrating life, the other commemorating death. What did Jesus do then, and what will Jesus do today? That's the question. We're going to look at six actions of Jesus, six actions. The first action was that Jesus met the woman at her time of greatest need. Jesus met the woman at her time of greatest need. The woman in this story was already a widow. She lost her husband earlier in her life. Now she lost her only son. Not only was she dealing with permanent loss and permanent separation, the losses of a loved one, but she was facing total destitution without a male protector or someone who could be a provider for her. See, back then they didn't have life insurance policies. There was no such thing as social security. There were no jobs for women in the first century. Her only hope to survive was that her son would grow up and care for her, and now he was gone. This was the greatest possible tragedy a woman could experience. She had lost everything, family, companionship, financial, material, support, security. Her family line had ended, which was a catastrophic for a, a Jew. Worst possible circumstance for a woman in first century Palestine. And here comes Jesus. Okay. Here comes Jesus. I don't believe in accidents or chance meetings. The timing was too unusual. I believe that Jesus knew and had decided that he had an appointment outside Nain that day. In the same way, in our lives today, Jesus meets us in our time of greatest need. The question is, what is your greatest need today? What is your greatest need? You might be in that place right now today, whether it's financial hardship or a marital conflict, crisis at your job, unemployed or close to it, family members who are in crisis, facing issues with parenting, disease or sickness, maybe the death of someone you love, facing 2016 and just totally depressed. Or maybe you don't have a physical need or financial need. It could be a spiritual need, a, a temptation or a particular sin. Maybe it's just an emptiness in soul or heart. There's an unease. You're not sure what it is. Sometimes when I speak to people, they say, you know, 
I don't have any needs. Well, maybe the greatest need is dealing with spiritual pride of saying, I don't have any needs. Jesus said to the church in Laodicea, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and need nothing, you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Some of us, by our denial of needs and claims of self-sufficiency, reveal that we really are in poverty and in desperate need of God. What is your need today? Jesus is here. Jesus is in the house. Not physically, but his presence is real by his Holy Spirit here. And Jesus will meet you in your time of greatest need. Secondly, Jesus felt what the woman felt. Jesus felt what the woman felt. In verse 13, it says, When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. There's a prophecy about Jesus the Messiah in Isaiah 53.3, which is a great encouragement and ought to be to all of us. It said, Jesus was a man of sorrows, and he was acquainted with grief. He was acquainted with grief. Not only did Jesus experience all the feelings we experience, he had what we call perfect empathy. Perfect empathy. Empathy is the ability to feel another person's feelings, to identify with them, to understand where they're at. And human beings have varying degrees of empathy. Some people have a lot of empathy. Others have very little empathy. Jesus, as God, could actually feel what the woman was feeling. And this wasn't the compassion of saying, I feel so sorry for you. This was a deep compassion of shared sorrow. He actually felt her pain. In Hebrews 4.14, speaking of Jesus, it says, For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus felt every emotion that she felt, her anger, her resentment, her grief, her despair, her faithlessness, her her questions of why me? I don't know if you've ever asked why me. I've asked it, why me? She said, I lost my husband, now my only son. Well, you know, we have a God who we just celebrated became one of us. He became one of us. And Jesus feels what you feel. And Jesus has an appointment this morning to meet you at your point of great need because he feels what you feel and he cares about it. What pain are you experiencing today? Jesus understands your pain. Jesus understands your confusion. He understands your feelings of powerlessness. Jesus feels what we feel. Thirdly, Jesus comforted her. In verse 13, he said, don't cry or don't weep. And the question is, what gave Jesus the right to say, don't cry? Has anyone ever said that to you? Said, don't grieve, don't cry. Jesus does not invalidate her sorrow. He doesn't deny her pain. He doesn't naively pretend it doesn't exist. He's well acquainted with the widow's past. What gives him the right to say, don't cry? Jesus knows the future. Jesus knows the future. He knew what he was going to do. And because he knows our future, he knows what he's going to do. He says to you and to me, do not grieve, do not cry. Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. 
Talk about a need for all of us in our lives. We need hope and we need to know that there's a future. No matter what place we're in today, we need a hope and a future. As we look back on the past year and we look ahead to 2016, it may look bright, it may look dim, it may look unknown, it may be fearful, whatever it is, there are so many things that take away our hope and our belief in the future. And he says, I have plans for you, and that's a hope and a future. God has plans for you. He knows how to bring those miracles in your life. We live in the now and have no concept of how God can make sense of it. But whether he raises the dead or heals the broken heart, mourning the death, Jesus has the power and can give us a hope in the future. Interestingly, in this miracle, some miracles in the, in the New Testament, people said, heal me, do this, would you please do this? And they cry out to Jesus for help. There was... No one who asked Jesus to do anything. There was no great display of faith, no display of hope. Jesus was motivated purely by compassion. And you know, sometimes Jesus acts in spite of us, in spite of our anger, grief, fear, or resentment, our lack of faith or trust. We don't have it. And yet he still acts on our behalf. Just because of his compassion, that's, that's not earned. It's purely grace. It's unmerited favor not deserved. So Jesus comforted her. Number four, Jesus touched. Jesus touched her point of pain. He came up and touched the coffin. Those carrying it stood still. This was a great symbolic action. That coffin represented all the pain and sorrow that this woman was experiencing. Jews were forbidden to touch the dead. Touching a coffin meant polluting oneself. It's part of the ceremonial law, but you know what? Jesus didn't care. Jesus didn't care. It didn't stop Jesus. Jesus touched the dirt, the filth, even the death of humanity because that's where the hurts were. Jesus doesn't care how unclean we are, how dirty we are, what sins we've committed in our past. He reaches down and he touches us in our point of pain. You know, touch is one of the most powerful expressions there is. Put an arm around someone, give them a hug, hold someone in pain. When my children were young and they hurt themselves, they came to me, and what did they want from me? A lecture? A lesson on bike safety? You know, I, I, I always wanted to find a solution for that. No, they didn't care about all that. All they wanted me was to hug them and hold them and say it's going to be better. Just the power of touch. The touch of Jesus is something far greater than human touch. When the God of the universe touches something, when Jesus touches someone, life happens. Life happens. The fifth action of Jesus, Jesus gave life. Jesus gave life. Death was coming out of the village. It collided with the giver of life. And what was the result? Life. Jesus gave life. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. I, I often wonder what was going through his mind because you don't know if he was in this out-of-body experience or it was like heaven is for real and whatever, and he saw this happening, but all of a sudden he wakes up and here's this crowd of people. I mean, all these people. Can you imagine what went through his mind as he sat up? And it says he began to talk. I think I would have been speechless, but he just started talking, whatever that was. An amazing thing. And Jesus had just said the word. There was no elaborate ceremony. There was no music playing. It was simply, profoundly, just the words of God. Two words. Get up. 
And all the power in the universe was behind those two words. The same word from God that, that, that created the entire universe in less than a millisecond. That put the stars and planets in space, placed the earth in orbit, created heavens and earth, separated lands from the sea. The word of God. And we have that word to get today. We have the word of God in print form and electronic form. We have the living word of God at our disposal. Jesus is Lord over life and death. Even the spirits in the spiritual realm obey him. He commanded the man's spirit to return to his body and he sat up and spoke. That same power, we're just saying about it, that same power is living in you and me. Same power available to you and me. And it might not be physical death or physical need. It may be death to the dreams, death of a relationship, death and vision. Whatever your need, Jesus gives life. The question is, where, where are you today in your life? Wherever you are, whatever your need, maybe you've never known Jesus personally. Maybe you're just exploring spiritual things. Maybe you're just seeking answers. Jesus gives life. And the sixth action that Jesus took was Jesus restored relationship. Jesus restored relationship. Jesus gave him back to his mother, verse 15. She had lost him. She had experienced the pain of permanent separation. And Jesus brought him back. There's nothing more valuable on earth than, than relationship. There's nothing more important than relationship. Oh, we, we, we put value on many, many things. But relationship is more valuable than anything in the universe. And there's nothing more painful than broken relationship. Many of you can, can ascertain that. You can say, yes, I understand what that's like. No matter what the circumstance or cause of that brokenness, Jesus can heal it. Jesus has the power to restore broken relationship. And I don't know anybody in here that probably hasn't experienced broken relationship. You had a fight with a, might have been fight with a friend, with a children, with a parent, a relative, another church member. Maybe a, there's a, a wayward son or daughter. Maybe it was a marital relationship, whatever it is. There are always, there's always brokenness. Jesus has the power to restore that broken relationship, to bring people back together. And the most important relationship that Jesus restores is our relationship with God, our spiritual father. That's why he came to earth. His whole life was about seeking those who were alienated and separated from God in order to relate, restore that relationship and bring us to God. And if you are here this morning and you don't have that relationship right, maybe you've never had that personal relationship with God, and maybe you just have been walking away and been gone for a long time. He wants to restore that relationship. That's what Jesus does. The people declared after they saw this incredible sign and wonder, God has come to help his people. What, what a powerful statement. You, we, we're, we live in fear of God. God's going to come and get us. Or we step out of line, he's going to stomp on us, whatever it is. No, God has come to help his people. It's a God who knows, a God who cares, a God who gets involved, a God who helps, a God who is for us, not against us. A God who loves us. He's not an angry God. He's a God who loves us and reaches out to touch us. 
Where are you today? Jesus will meet you in your time of greatest need. Jesus feels what you feel. Jesus wants to comfort you. Jesus will touch your point of pain. Jesus will bring life, and Jesus will restore relationship. If you're here this morning and you've never had a relationship with God, I want to invite all of us at this point to bow our heads and pray silently and invite you to pray silently as I pray aloud. I'm going to pray a prayer that if you've never had that relationship restored, you can do that this morning. I'm going to pray aloud. You can pray silently. Let's bow our heads, please, for just a moment. Lord Jesus, I need you. I understand you came in love to restore my relationship with God. I admit I cannot do so on my own. Thank you that you, Jesus, came and died for my sins, then rose again. I'm turning my life over to you. Come in and take charge. Restore my relationship with God. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, you can look up again, please. Please talk to me or someone you know has a relationship with God because God wants you to tell people about that new life and that relationship with God. One of the things I wanted to do today as we, as we move towards communion, we're not going to go in in just a minute. I want to just take a few minutes. We believe in answered prayer. We believe that God has cares about every detail in our lives. So we're going to just take a few minutes to open the front of the church for prayer. Uh, we have anointing oil if you have a physical need. Sometimes um, people have a friend that has a physical need and so they stand in and they're anointed with oil in their stead or they just pray for them. It may be a, something you have, something that you're aware of or it may be someone else. But we just want to invite you to come and, and be prayed for this morning. And I'm going to ask some of the, some of the board leadership if, if Mike and Rachel and Lindsay would come up and, and, uh, and others, let's see. Um, if you would just come on up and be over here and pray. Yeah, if we, Brent, well, we have Brent and Lindsay over here. Just take time for prayer. We're going to sing a song. We're just not in any hurry. If you have a prayer need, anything that you have a need for. Yeah, Loanne's on her way too. Um, we believe in answered prayer, so. Let's pray as we sing. Thank you, Jesus.